Nothing you hear in this program constitutes investment advice. It is an expression of opinion only. This is Frisbees, Bulls and Bears. Talking money and markets. What's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Frisbees, Bulls and Bears with Dominic Frisbee. Hello and welcome to Frisbees, Bulls and Bears with me, Dominic Frisbee. A reminder that you can subscribe to this show by hitting the subscribe with email button on the left hand side of your screen. And then every time we upload a new show, you'll be notified by email. That's the only email you, re- you receive. And it's a good way of keeping in touch with the show because, of course, we don't post these shows on a regular basis. Well, gold touched $1,310 today. That's Wednesday, September the 27th. Another new record. And I'm talking today to Julian Phillips, who writes the Gold Forecaster and the Silver Forecaster newsletters. Julian's history in the financial world goes back to 1971. What a significant year that was. And he's worked at the London Stock Exchange, South Africa's Electricity Supply Commission, Chase Manhattan, the UK Merchant Bank, Hill Samuel, the Board of Executors, which later became one of the big four South African banks. His focus has always been on currency, gold in particular, and economics. Julian, I mean, this is uh, an incredible run, really, that gold has had since, since August, and many of us have been predicting it for a long time, and yet now it's happening it's almost unbelievable. It is to many people. You're quite right. And um, I would hasten to add that, in fact, it's really a gear change or a change of current or um, a whole change of uh, fundamental structure that I think has happened. So it's not quite simply a bull market. Um, it's really, in, if I look back to 1971, what was happening then um, is is similar to what's happening now, but it's almost a continuation. So the move up to these levels, it does not surprise me because suddenly gold has come into its own in the old area, whereas for the last 20, um, 25 years, it has been really a rather barbarous relic, an old commodity that was sinking so fast and then turned around in the year 2000. My my stepdad, I had my stepdad on the phone this morning and he was saying to me, you know, you told me to buy gold two years ago, you told me to buy it last year, should I buy it now? Should he? If he's prepared to hold for the long term, yes indeed. In fact, I think people are going to be absolutely incredulous when they see what will happen. But not, But the concept of buying usually comes with the developed world concept of buy for a profit. Well, at the moment, um, gold is not moving up um, because of investors looking for a profit per se, but in fact is moving up because people with money like to buy gold. It's a wealth preserver. It is a protection. It is where you avoid the risks that seem to darken the horizon at the moment. And do you have long-term target prices for gold, or is it is it a question of how low the dollar and other fiat currencies will go? Uh, well, again, that's a very interesting question. What is the price? Uh, you could say a dollar price, 
But if you look at the euro price today, it's 962. It's been up close to 1,000 euros. So it hasn't risen in the euro, but it really reflects the fall in the dollar. So what do you name as a price? Uh, I would put to you that the price of a dollar is one um, 1,310th of an ounce of gold. So really we're seeing a switch in, in terms of pricing. What is that price? Uh, for the last 25, well, in fact, go just re restrain that a bit and make it the last uh, 20 years. The developed world has dominated the price of gold and everyone's accepted a dollar price. However, now we're seeing Asia, we're seeing um, central banks, Russia and China, uh, amongst others, and a general swing from the eastern side and developing side of the world towards gold, which they've always respected, and therefore the grip on gold by the Western world has been loosened considerably. Now it can move as it did um, before it was restrained uh, by the various gold sales that started in the mid-70s. One thing you mentioned there about the euro move in gold as compared to the, the dollar move in gold... Um, one thing I've noticed when the gold hit the high against hit its high against the euros back in the early summer, the late spring, the junior mining companies weren't moving by quite so much. Whereas, I, I presume you follow junior miners; they've had a, a heck of a run this past month. Oh yes, look, the we're, we're, we're in a in a world now where so many basics are changing. Um, and there was this huge move away from gold shares. Um, when the ETFs came on stream, when the gold ETFs were promoted by the World Gold Council, and huge volumes of money, which would probably have gone into gold equities, moved across directly into the shares of the gold ETFs. And uh, this, uh, this happened because those funds in the States in particular were not actually allowed to buy gold directly and hold it and store it in various places. They were restrained... Um, or held back simply to buying shares of various kinds. Now, the ETF allowed them to, to actually take um, uh, an investment which avoided corporate risk and allowed them to have an impact on the gold price. So the amount they've taken off certainly has had an impact on the gold price. Um, but now the juniors, and this is where one's going to be very careful, um, the juniors can be absolutely fantastic. But you've got to pick the right one, and I would define the choice by saying it must be able to rise when the gold price isn't. It must have an expanding production. It must have good management, well-financed. It must be in production. And uh, then you're going to see some remarkable performances. But there will be these hesitations from time to time because, uh, I must confess, while it was battling the 1,250 level and below, um, it was really moving sideways and had been doing so for about 18 months. Now with the breakout, we're in new territory. Now the leverage of the juniors and their future prospects, is they're going to outperform the um, tier one type of miner um, enormously. Are you familiar with GDXJ, the junior gold mining ETF? No. Ah, well, there, there is now, uh, if GDX follows the, the HUI, the, the Index of Unhedged Gold Miners, there's, a, there's an ETF, GT, GDXJ, which follows the kind of the senior junior mining companies, if you like. Uh, right. um, I, I think that's a, 
a real that's been a it's only been in existence barely a year and i think it's a real game changer for the juniors because you can just buy that etf and it it's you know spread across a basket of juniors and suddenly it's brought funds in that didn't want to take individual company risk before well that that makes a lot of sense because for the one of the biggest problems with a junior is the liquidity if a major fund wants to put in five million dollars into the shares finds itself with the tiny of the mine and it becomes the dominant shareholder it's almost a takeover and this is what they do not want they want to be able to get in and out quickly so an etf of that kind will allow them a level of liquidity that they wouldn't find in individual minds makes a lot of sense now I, I read your newsletters uh, as they come into my uh, inbox uh, once or twice a week and uh, I read them with great interest and you, you take a, um, a more political look at gold, if you like, than, than some of the other writers and uh, you look at it from a historical perspective. Fort Knox, what, how much gold do you think is in there? Kate, <laughs> <laughs> there's a question for you. Um, they tell us over 8,000 tons. They tell us that they haven't disclosed how much of it is leased. We are told that they are going to be audited and we'll find out exactly. Um, I would, should we say, take your question and change it slightly and say, um, as a reserve asset, as the reserve asset of the US, it represents about 57% of their reserves. Now, that's because they are the sole world uh, reserve currency. So why do they need others? They're the only nation in the world that doesn't have to earn um, a foreign income. They simply print more dollars, pay their trade deficit off with those, and that becomes, uh, as it were, a global tribute paid to the US. Um, now, you need your gold reserves when monetary stress comes in quite strongly. And then it must cover, or the theory is that it must cover three months' uh, international trade obligations, apart from any other thing. It is deemed as an investment, but uh, when push comes to shove, uh, income and investment uh, values fall away very rapidly because it's a, a survival tool. And therefore, the question should really be, does America have enough to survive should, um, let's say, a global yuan appear and the role of the U.S. dollar as reserve currency is reduced considerably. Even perhaps uh, the oil price be changed from the dollar to a basket of currencies. What would happen to the dollar then? Could they um, fund their obligations? Uh, is their gold in Fort Knox sufficient to do that for three months or so? Um, that's a very big question because I don't believe that um, the extrapolation of any of the developed world futures has allowed for a change in world power such as we're seeing now. And that fear and uncertainty, that doubt, is clearly making investors in gold very prudent. And the, the concept of uh, central bank reserves is, is very much on the agenda. I see that some people say, ah, but central bankers are not going to buy gold. Um, well, many are, and they're doing it as fast as the gold market will allow. There isn't much out there, and the only way to get more out is not through newly mined gold, but uh, by pushing the price up so high you bring scrap sellers out. Now, uh, the volumes that are around are still very small. So a lot of the central banks that have gold at the moment are simply sitting um, 
with a firm grip on that gold. But the acid test may or may not come. Certainly the market is fearful that it will come at some stage. Troubles in the Eurozone, troubles with currencies being weakened, America telling everybody else not to weaken their currency and yet letting their own slide as they're doing now. Um, this issue might become very center stage one very soon. Yeah, I mean, I've, I, that's just made me think of about five different questions to ask you at once, Julian. But uh, just your last comment there about uh, America being quite happy to let their currency weaken. I mean, we had Ben Bernanke in the minutes of the Federal Reserve meeting that were published this week, you know, trying to, admitting that he's trying to engineer inflation. We had the Brazilian... Uh, central bank complaining that their currency is overpriced. We've had the Japanese authorities step in uh, and try and um, weaken the yen. And we had uh, one of the uh, Bank of England committee this week come out and say that they have deliberately suppressed interest rates in order to try and get people to spend money in order. And that's another way of saying we are deliberately robbing savers in order to uh, prop up asset markets, overinflated asset markets. I mean, uh, under all that, uh, it's just a great big mess. I mean, how can gold not go up in that environment? I would go one stage further and say there's a lot of similarities between today and 1933. Uh, after the Depression, um, trying to get things back to life, trying to get the banking industry back into a vigorous shape, uh, trying to expand the economy, get growth, growth back on track. What did Roosevelt do? He went into QE, quantitative easing, in a big way. Not only did he confiscate U.S. citizens' gold, and it was money at that time, um, he then revalued it 75%. Uh, he then sucked in as much gold he could from the rest of the world who had not devalued, so he had a tremendous arbitrage game going on. And uh, he managed to take their holdings up to over 20-odd thousand tons, which allowed quantitative easing uh, to a huge extent. Uh, but again, one has to say that that was because gold was money at that time. But he embarked on massive quantitative easing, way, way more than, than Bernanke is contemplating at the moment. And uh, that was in order to stop um, deflation from shrinking the monetary base and to get um, growth going at ground level, getting men to dig holes and fill them in, um, just to get the money flowing at consumer level. Well, they haven't done that so far, and they know that they've got to do that because the consumer's health is the nation's health. And if they don't get him right, they can play any games they like at the top. It will not come right. And therefore, QE is it's, it's really the last um, way out, and it is inflationary. Not only does it uh, stop people saving, it tells them that if you do save, your, 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 the value of your um, savings will drop quite dramatically. It tells creditors that the value of their debt is going to be uh, erased um, to a very large extent. Um, it tells pensioners that they better get close to their children because the pension won't be enough. So we're seeing a forcing of people to add liquidity to the system, to get mem li liquidity momentum and velocity going again. Because if they don't, that uh, deflation is like an uh, air brake on a lorry. It really can slow things down fast. And Ben Bernanke knows he's got a very short um, time period in which to stop that happening. Otherwise, uh, it will almost become mercurial uh, as to restructuring the system 
I personally think that the concept of deep reformation that's needed isn't even on the agenda yet. Political matters override it every time. So we are headed for a period of man's history that is worse than the 1930s because there's no war on, this, on the horizon uh, coming up. In fact, something worse. There's a transfer of power to China and um, the movement of wealth from the developed world into Asia. And with that as the backdrop, the prospect of getting growth going, getting um, monetary health uh, back on track is enormous, and they're not addressing it. Do you think uh, Ben Bernanke can succeed in staving off deflation? I think the poor man is stuck without the tools to do the job. He's looking at a political system that is so focused on their own issues that they're not tending to the matter, certainly as Roosevelt did in the 30s. And we are facing a prospect of the equivalent of a hung parliament in uh, the United States where the government will be so split that they can't be effective anymore. When you uh, said that Roosevelt uh, took on quantitative easing, do you mean by that his new deal? Um, I'm not sure whether that would be the right title for it, but on every front he he just issued money. in huge quantities, and he got the consumer working. He was also able to uh, get in on the war effort. I mean, America supplied so many arms and uh, etc. to the Allies in Europe that that was a tremendous. I mean, it was way ahead of any uh, Chinese export drive. But it's the sort of thing that gets an economy going. China has to export now, uh, just as Singapore did way back in the Vietnam War. They built hotels for rest and recreation, and they converted them later to flats. But you need this, this income coming in. It's like any, any man. He needs a good cash flow in order to pay his bills and to keep his house, etc., in order. You stop that cash flow. You can play any games you like, but it will not come right. And uh, uh, look at the example of Singapore. Look at the example of China. Look at the example of the U.S. in the 30s. It's not being followed in the West. There are not tending to vigorous growth and development. Protectionism would do a far better job than, uh, than the processes they're going through now. Mm. Um, when you read some of the Austrian economists, Murray Rothbard and others, and they describe the, current, the, the injustice of the current system of money in that it favours the first recipients of newly printed money, i.e. banks and uh, uh, people who've recently taken on loans and, and the last person to benefit uh, from from inflation, if you like, is the is you know, the people furthest away from the money supply. So it might be your farmer in the country as opposed to your city banker, say. That seems to be precisely the problem that Ben Bernanke has, is that all this new money they're issuing is simply being hoarded by banks and it's not reaching the man on the street. Quite right. Quite right. And in fact, um my point about starting at consumer level and getting them to move money, stop saving, and then it goes up the, up the line. It must be uh, from ground vertical, not from the top down to the ground. And that's what you just described. It went from the top to the next level and stopped there. So all the efforts of quantitative easing by Bernanke were, were, were um, fouled up by the bankers just below them. And that will continue to be the uh, case until the banks have their way and have their profits. But this situation 
should not have been allowed to be blocked at that point. It should have, they should have been forced to go to the consumer and get him moving. But again, it's a government job. So Ben Bernanke's stuck with limited tools and a government that's not doing what it should do or has only done it in small part. That is not a solution. Um, and if we look back to, for instance, the Weimar Republic, there they were trying the same thing to stave off deflation by printing money, just get the velocity going. And you mentioned the farmer. There, they did something which bypassed the impact of money. Uh, the, the farmer, they were very good entrepreneurs who bought the farms, bought the lorries to take the goods to market, bought the farm stalls, and only touched money briefly at the sale of the, of the goods. And then it went back into assets that promoted future um, growth on the farm. Um, and in that way, they, they gained real riches. But one has to mentally divorce the function of money from the economy. And money should be a tool of the economy, not the economy a tool of money. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, 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 this quantitative easing coupled with this modern system of money creates huge injustice and... I mean, this is one of the great injustices now is that the money's effectively been given to the banks and so the people that work at the top of the banks have also benefited. Um, and yet it hasn't reached the man on the street. So the man in the street is suffering uh, a huge deflation and yet the man at the top has had his um, asset price, the, the price of his assets protected. So the gulf between rich and poor effectively has grown even bigger when the, the government's intention was was the total opposite and in a funny kind of way the 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 rich are enjoying a very nice little inflation thank you very much all my assets are rising and the poor man is finding his cost of living going up and yet his income dwindling at best oh i would take it further um ben Bernanke, the fed is rather like our heart the banks are rather like our veins and arteries and uh, we are the, the body, as it were, that needs that uh, blood being pumped to it. Now, um, when the artery is hardened, you've got a major problem, and you have to do something about that. It's not a case of pumping more blood. Because yeah. the, uh, the banks, of course, have been told to lend prudently at the same time as being, lend, being told to lend less. So there's an essential contradiction there. Oh, yes. Well, go back to my father's day. My, I remember my father used to carry around a very large pile of cash all the time. And his only involvement with the banks was when he wanted to borrow something directly to promote further cash flow in his business or to buy an asset which would pay itself off. Today, banks are in every single facet of our life. I mean, just getting cash. The banks make money from you holding cash. Yeah. Now, that, social, that carries with it a social responsibility that has not been addressed. Banks, when they moved into that area should have fallen under uh, a far greater degree of monitoring and control because of that added social responsibility. But the concept of the profit motive has dominated everything. And with that social responsibility should have come a softening of that and a broadening of it so that the profit motive should not conflict with the function of making the economy work. The banking side should have been restrained into its traditional area and the actual cash flow into the public should have carried, as I say, social responsibilities and restraints. Mm. 
So, um, when Julian, uh, will you sell your gold? What what will what will be the trigger? Well, it's when um, the world economy has got back to growth. It's when um, the average consumer is now smiling with his house prices looking good, with his ability to buy this and that, with his credit card functioning well. But at the same time, where around the White House, you'll probably see a squadron of pigs flying in formation. <laughs> and uh, so certainly not for a while, let's put it that way. I mean, do, do you see the... Um, do you see the rise of the yuan? Do you see a real threat to the uh, the supremacy of the dollar at the moment? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And it has to come. China cannot hang on to somebody else's currency, particularly one that's in the state that that is. They should, and they have already started plans um, to uh, globalize the yuan. At the moment, there are various banks uh, on road trips, persuading people to use the yuan in international trading. Uh, it's not a big step for China to say, we won't price in the dollar anymore, we now price in the yuan. And uh, it is not a huge step for them to flood the world with yuan uh, and stop it being inflationary inside the country, and uh, for the yuan become, to become a global currency. In fact, next year, the uh, IMF have to discuss the uh, makeup of the SDR. Don't be surprised if you see the yuan take up 20% of that. Mm. And as as now they're talking about uh, working on the basis of valuing the yen on a basket of currencies, um, you can see that all the structuring has to move the dollar out of the way. And the moment that becomes a global reserve currency, don't be surprised if OPEC and the rest say, yes, we'll accept yuan in payment for dollars. Uh, in payment for oil. Mm. So, yes, I think that it, and it could be it, not a gentle process, a gently guided process. It would be a series of sudden jolts until the yuan is an accepted currency. Okay, so um, we're, we, we're running out of time now, Julian. Your, your advice to uh, your lowly private investor as we go forward from here, what would you be telling... Uh, somebody to do I would say to him he's got to look at the fundamentals and redefine his concept and, uh, and for instance don't buy gold for profit buy it for prudence um, don't have a look at the rosy future make every investment earn its keep uh, don't have high expectations and high PEs go for growth go for investments that will do well in hard times when the good times come, they'll take care of themselves. But it's the hard times you've got to protect yourself against. Very good. What, what do you think of property, real estate? Oh, if you can pay it off and live in it, wonderful. If you can fix uh, debt against it at, at low rates? Um, and if you buy uh, very cheaply uh, at less than um, replacement costs, Wonderful investment, but don't expect much performance for a while yet. And should inflation that you mentioned earlier take off, go for all assets, including property. Okay, good stuff. Well, Julian, thank you very much. Why don't you describe um, your newsletter, what you do in it, and uh, and uh, what services you offer and advice you give, and uh, and then um, where 
people can find out more about it. Okay, well, it's um, the website is www.goldforcaster.com. Um, it covers junior gold shares, our preferred ones. We do cover um, select mid-tier and tier one shares. Um, we focus on the actual shape of the gold market, on fundamentals, how the oil price affects it, how currencies affect it, how the dollar uh, affects it. We look at the various makeup uh, of factors driving the gold price. We usually have articles which try to expand investors' um, um, concepts of what gold does and is so that they have an understanding, professional understanding of the market. We do tailor it to um, uh, the lawyers and the dentists who, who want to know about it, so we don't go into too much complex uh, discussion. They should be able to understand it easily, and as a result, uh, they will understand the gold price and what it's doing and why it's doing it. They will understand why gold shares, selected ones, the juniors that we prefer, will do and have done extremely well. So hopefully it will help them to maximize their profits. Good stuff. And what are your fee three favorite juniors at the moment? Or are you um, not allowed to tell us? <laughs> I'm actually not allowed to tell you, but I will... Uh, uh, let me think of one off the top of my head. Timmins. Look at Timmins. Small company, but very exciting. Good stuff. And died on a pullback. But uh, my favorite in Africa is Rango Resources. I know. That's done incredibly well, that company. Beautiful company. All right. Well, um, and, and how are your... Do you, do you tip, you know, where, what, where you think the, the price of gold is going in, in over a certain time frame? Um, we, we do give price forecasts. Uh, we know where it's going. and we, we, uh, we add to that. We say where it's headed, and we try to say where it's going to go when it goes fast, when it goes slow, um, we give people the supports and resistances so that we assist them in decision-making, but at the same time we give our own forecast, short-term, okay. medium, and long. And what, 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 uh, what do you think will be the high for this year? Well, we're headed towards uh, uh, my first high pretty quickly, so I've got to expand it. And in view of what's going on in currencies, don't be surprised if we touch 2,000 before the end of the year. My goodness me. I don't think we're going to go that high. Uh, I think maybe 1,400, but uh, 2,000, wow. I think we're looking at currency disturbances which will rattle the cages of most people. So don't look at gold as a performer. Look at it as a haven from the troubles that are so close to us now. Okay, and what about the dollar? Do you think the dollar's going to break below its lows? I think they're yes. about 75 or 76 on the US dollar index. Yes, I do. I do. And I think the, you know, we look at the euro running next to it. But uh, it's a case of how, which one is falling faster. Yeah. Wow. All currencies are looking very sick because they're all, the dollar is the tree trunk of the currency world and the rest of the branch is out of it. And the trunk, if it suffers, the rest will eventually have to do so, like the yen now. Well, if, if we have $2,000 gold before the end of the year, we're going to have... Oh, crikey, $40 silver or something? $30, $35 silver if the ratio stays at 60? Yes. 
All right, well, Julian, thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. And uh, the website, uh, once again, folks, is goldforecaster.com. Frisbee's Bulls and Bears is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our forum at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com. To join our mailing list so you can be updated as soon as a new show is posted, please email info at dominicfrisbee.net or simply subscribe through iTunes. 